0: Hello everyone, Pastor Steve coming at you from the Discovery Downtown Center. Hey, we are in a very strange moment, and I want to begin uh, by saying a couple of of words of thank you. First of all, to our Discovery community, our Discovery family, thank you so much for all of the ways that you guys have been uh, flexible and uh, willing to be creative and and think through different ways of being the church uh, over the course of this week as the news has rolled out and we had to make adjustments uh, to various things. So by now, most of you, I'm guessing, if you're listening to this, know that we have had to cancel our uh, Sunday morning gatherings. And I, I use that terminology very intentionally. We're not canceling church. Church doesn't get canceled. Um, because church is not an event right we've talked a lot about this over the last year and a half church is a a community a group of people a body that we are a part of and that does not uh, is not contingent upon us being able to meet in a particular place at a particular time so uh, a couple of things that i want to say here as we begin um, moving through what is going to be a, a strange disruptive season but also I think, a season of great opportunity for us as a community of Jesus followers in this place and in this time. So we, over the course of this week, you know, I've had to make a couple of different decisions. On Tuesday, we had decided to cancel uh, our Sunday gatherings for March 15th, 22nd, and 29th uh, in conjunction with the announcement or the uh, advisory of Yolo County. The very next day, we found out that the school district was uh, canceling all large group events on campuses. And at first, it didn't apply to us because the theater, Brunel, where we meet, typically on a Sunday morning is not uh, run by the school district. And they said, no, it's fine as you know, as long as you guys are comfortable with it. But then the next day um, or Wednesday night, I don't even remember now, it's been that kind of week. Anyway, they decided to follow the policy. So... What this means for us as a community, we will not be able to gather on Sunday mornings at the theater until May at the earliest, or unless something changes dramatically here in the near future, which it may, so stay tuned. Now, having said all of that, uh, this is an interesting moment for us, and I think it's actually a moment that we are well-suited for as a community because so much of what we do as a church is not dependent on a Sunday morning event. We talk about how we're structured simply around gatherings, groups, and generosity, and obviously the gathering is a big part of that, and we love our Sunday morning gatherings where we are able to be together in the same physical space and see one another, worship together, hear from God communally, take communion together, all of that great stuff. However, a lot of what we do is about relationships and groups and these smaller contexts where we are able to be in deeper relationship with each other. And so that's where things move for the foreseeable future is into that space. And, uh, and so I'm really proud of our, our group leaders for stepping up. Uh, I'm proud of our, our community for, again, thinking creatively about ways that we can respond uh, to this moment and the overall, uh, theme, I think, of this time is uh, to be thinking about other people. And and this is, again, something that the church should already be really good at. But even more so in this moment, the decisions that we are making are about loving other people. Even if you don't feel sick, even if you don't feel personally impacted by the coronavirus, to make decisions that are going to be uh, protective of other people's health it is a way of loving sacrificially the way that Jesus loves us and so that is the lens through which we want to make decisions over the next days and weeks as as different uh, news items and and reactions come across our radar we want to continue to lead with love of neighbor if there's a second word or theme for this moment I think it's the the word uh, creativity and the opportunity to do some things. be forced in many ways to do some things differently, I think is a great opportunity for our community. And so we're doing a live stream on Sunday mornings and getting together for watch parties and brunch and and all sorts of things is great. Uh, Ideas about serving one another, taking care of each other's kids, uh, bringing groceries, um, all those sorts of things are are wonderful ideas. Groups getting together either digitally or uh, in person all wonderful ideas, opportunities to serve uh, through different organizations or, or partners that we have um, here uh, in Davis and Woodland are, are great. I know uh, there's an organization in Woodland that we work with called Fourth and Hope that could use more volunteers this month. Uh, the UC Davis Pantry could use some help this month. We want to be keeping our eyes and ears open to those sorts of opportunities, in addition to just the relational ability to check in on one another and make sure that everyone is doing okay during this time. We do want to honor this concept of social distancing, but we don't want anybody uh, to be in isolation in the sense that they're cut off from community or don't have folks who are checking in on them. So Discovery Family, an opportunity for us to actually be the church in very real and tangible ways over the coming days and weeks even if we're not able to gather on Sunday morning now having said all of that we do want to continue to get um, content to you in terms of you know the things that we would normally be doing and thinking about and talking through so today we're going to consider our next practice this is a uh, um, going to be a version of my teaching on on the practice of solitude and we're gonna uh, you know again move forward with this week in and week out and you can follow along in all the different formats that you're able uh, to follow along. So let me pause here for a moment and pray and then we will get into uh, a brief conversation on solitude um, that hopefully is helpful for us as we uh, again move through a very strange moment Uh, but we're going to do it together. So let me pray. Heavenly Father we know Then in a moment like this, there's confusion. There's all sorts of reactions. There's fear. There's anxiety. Um, And then there's also the very uh, real um, uh, truth of this virus that is impacting people directly and indirectly. We pray for those who are impacted directly, God. We pray for healing. Uh, We pray that this thing would not spread or cause um, any more Uh, suffering than it already has. God, we know you are the great healer and physician and that you can take care of something like this. No pandemic or epidemic is too big for you to handle. So God, we pray against this virus. We pray for those who are on the front lines of this uh, as doctors, as decision makers, um, as leaders in different sectors of our world and society. God, that you would give them strength and courage and wisdom. Help them to be making good decisions during this time. God, for us as a community, um, we pray against fear. Uh, We want to be wise. We want to be good stewards. We want to love our neighbors well, but we also don't want to be paralyzed by fear. And so would you help us uh, to lead with love, to love our neighbors? And if that means um, staying apart for a, a period of time, help us to do that well. If that means checking in on people, Uh, Help us to do that well, God. May we just be a community that is defined by love during this season. And then give us great creativity as we move forward together and discover different ways to be good news to each other and to our city. We pray this in the powerful, strong name of Jesus. Amen. Our family was living in... Uh, Boston in 2013 when some young men placed bombs at the finish line of that year's marathon and that set off a very very strange week in the city of Boston the whole city went into lockdown for a part of that week it was a very strange time and part of that strangeness was just the way that things slowed down like the whole city ground to a halt while this manhunt was going on And, and I don't say this next bit to minimize or oversimplify things because I know that these moments of disruption have a tremendous impact on people, especially those who do rely on you know hourly work or certain services to, to get the things that they need. But these sorts of moments expose cracks in the ways that we live. And one of those cracks is that we tend to live in a way that our souls were not designed for. And in particular, our souls were not designed for the pace at which most of us live, nor were they designed for the amount of noise that we encounter. And when I use the word noise there, I'm talking about just all of the information that comes at us over a given day. The pace and the noise create circumstances which keep us in a constant state of agitation. I want you to imagine a jar, like a big mason jar that's full of water and sand or dirt. And imagine that this jar represents you body, soul, mind, and strength. When we live at a fast pace with a high decibel level, we live in this state of agitation. That jar is just constantly being shaken. And as a result, we become muddled, jumbled, opaque, a mess. Right, you can't see through that anymore because all that dirt and stuff has just been jumbled around in that jar. Parker Palmer writes, The soul is like a wild animal, tough, resilient, savvy, self-sufficient, and yet exceedingly shy. And so when we live with noise at a fast pace, this agitation sends our souls scurrying for cover and we can lose touch with this deep, of us now it's fascinating i don't know how this happened but today is part three of our practices conversation the next practice is solitude this was planned out long in advance not social distancing but solitude and so i think this practice is actually a very good gift to us in this moment that we are in now just as a reminder four foundational texts for this Practice conversation. We've been looking at them over and over again. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13 work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you. Right. This mystery, this paradox, this tension between God at work in us bringing transformation. Ultimately, it is uh, it is God who does that work to change our hearts. And yet we we must participate in this. There is this part where we work out our salvation. Colossians chapter one, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I strenuously contend, but with the energy that Christ works in me. First Timothy chapter four, train yourselves to be godly. We've talked about this a lot, right? We're not trying to be spiritual people. We're not trying to appear like we've got it all together. We are training ourselves in the ways of Jesus through these practices. Finally, Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 7, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise person who builds their house on a rock, puts the words of Jesus into practice. This is the adventure that we are on this year, this adventure that Jesus invites us into. Zoe Aeneas, Right? Life to the full, life abundant, eternal life. This life is meant to be experienced. It is meant to be practiced, not simply observed or learned about. Now, our big idea today is that healthy spirituality, what we've been defining as right relationship between us and God and between us and others, healthy spirituality, right relationship is boundaried by a pattern of engagement and withdrawal. I think we get engagement, right? Most of our lives are lived in engagement. Work, school, all the different activities that we're involved in, this constant moving, the the relationships that we are a part of, and if anything ever slows down, we have our smartphones with us to provide a distraction. All of these things may be very good things, but they disturb us, they agitate us, they keep, again, if you imagine that jar, they keep that jar in a state of agitation where it's cloudy and unsettled when this pattern of engagement and withdrawal is out of balance we put our souls in danger our shy souls crave quiet crave these moments of withdrawal where we slow down we turn down the volume and that that soul can come out and express itself silence and solitude though freak us out for being honest when we live in a world where we can literally be distracted our entire waking lives, this decision to intentionally separate ourselves from activity, from people, from noise can be a bit scary. And yet we begin with the truth that God himself, Jesus, God in the flesh, honored this pattern of engagement And withdraw. One example, Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. The news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Here is Jesus, God's Son, the second person of the Trinity, the divine in human flesh, taking time to withdraw. Here is God, as limitless a resource as exists in the universe, choosing to limit himself. Jesus, who could have healed everyone, looking need right in the face and going off by himself, withdrawing to a lonely place to pray. Kind of unsettling, actually, if you think about it, if you're really being honest. If anyone had an excuse to keep going, to stay moving, to turn up the noise, it was Jesus. He could handle it, right? But instead, he withdraws because healthy spirituality, right relationship requires boundaries. The soul must be protected. And so if even Jesus had to say no, had to say no to good opportunities, to a chance to build his brand, to make a name for himself, to accomplish more good things, how much more do we need this practice? we who are limited and finite in our resources how much more do we need this practice now turning to the old testament story for a moment first kings chapter 19 we meet a man named elijah a little bit of background on elijah elijah is a prophet of the living god and he has had a very good run as a prophet comes on the scene in first kings chapter 17 Uh, events that he foretells come to pass. He takes a small amount of food for this widow and multiplies it several times over. He brings a dead kid back to life, some foreshadowing of what Jesus will do when he comes on the scene. And then the sort of culminating moment, Elijah has this showdown. During this time in the Old Testament story, the people of Israel were, were way into the worship of this false god called Baal. And there's all these prophets of Baal that, that have this encounter with Elijah. It's like one versus hundreds. And he wins this showdown in dramatic fashion. Fire coming down from heaven. If anyone <clears throat> should be riding high and feeling good about their accomplishments, it's Elijah. But when we meet him in 1 Kings 19, we discover he is not in a good Place. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. This is 1 Kings 19 3 and 4. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. How many of you have had enough this week? I've had enough, Lord. He said, Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Elijah at this moment is done. He's depressed. His soul is. Weary, the pace and the noise of recent events have agitated his soul. I've had enough, he says. Now, in this place of total depletion and depression, God meets Elijah and begins to take care of him. First, with food and rest, which sometimes is all we need, right? A good meal and a good night of sleep can make a lot of things better. But other times we need much more than that. And so, Eli- or so God invites Elijah on a journey. Forty days and forty nights to this place called Horeb, the mountain of God, also known as Mount Sinai. This is where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Lots of other important things have happened on this mountain in the Old Testament story. Now this is where we pick the story up. Elijah is in this cave on Mount Sinai. The word of the Lord came to him with this question, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. They've put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah has seen God show up in some powerful ways. This multiplication of food, raising the dead back to life, his prophetic words coming true. He's called down fire from heaven. But here on the mountain, God reveals himself to Elijah in this whole other way. It's almost as if Elijah has become addicted to the pace and the noise. But here, on the mountain, in this cave, all that noisy stuff, the earthquake, the wind that shatters rocks, the fire, God is not in any of that. Now, that bit that we just read, it begins and ends with God asking Elijah this great question, what are you doing here? might sound a little bit accusatory. It's actually, I think, a very gentle question, but also a brutally honest question. Question, what are you doing here? This question is quite loving because it invites Elijah to be honest. In this quiet moment, it allows his soul and what's really going on underneath all of that to come to the surface. And Elijah is honest. He says, I've been zealous. I've done all the right things. Everything is going wrong, though. The Israelites have rejected you. They're killing off the prophets. They want to kill me. God, I did all the right things. And it feels like I'm being punished. What's up with that? And God shows up for Elijah in a still, small voice. God gives Elijah a good gift. You've been doing great things, but if you really want to find me, you need to slow down. You need to be quiet. And I will show up for you in this gentle whisper, this still, small voice. You can't hear it in the pace and the noise. You can't hear it in the agitation. And so come away by yourself. Be with me. Slow down. Quiet yourself, and I will take care of you. I will meet you in this gentle whisper. Richard Foster writes, The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Let me read that again. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. I I love quotes. Uh, this quote I think has has sort of haunted me, driven me, been with me now for a while. I, I keep coming back to it. This idea of what we desperately need in the world is deep people. Other folks will use language like uh, a non anxious presence, a sage, the wise person. Deep people. There are intelligent and gifted people all around us churning out great content all the time. There are loud people screaming for attention everywhere we go, everywhere we turn. But who is wise? Who is discerning? Who is deep? We desperately need deep people. Deep people live this rhythm of engagement and withdrawal they've gone off to the lonely places to hear that gentle whisper the still small voice of god they are settled and clear if you imagine again that jar it gets shaken up but they've gone off to places where that uh, all that sediment can settle to the bottom and the water becomes clear again deep people are safe they have space to love. They have space for compassion. They have space for other people because they've done the work of withdrawal and encountering God in those places. And when they return to engagement, they return with good news to offer. Again, silence and solitude freak us out because we are so trained to do something. Throughout scripture, though, there's this invitation to do nothing, (laughs) to be still, Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. For those of us who just want to do something, this invitation to be still is difficult. And yet this is one of God's good gifts, one of his great invitations to step out of the noise, step out of the busyness, step out of the pace and just be with him to allow all that stuff to settle, to let our shy souls come out and and to be loved and taken care of by God who speaks to us in a gentle whisper. Now, there is a practical side to this, right? This is a practice and we're going to get into the practical side of this in our groups and we're going to have a bunch of stuff for you to be able to work through to figure out what this looks like in your day-to-day life. But I'm not going to get into that here. I want to leave us with an image. The invitation to solitude certainly is an invitation to stillness and quiet. It, It is to allow the waters of our soul to settle so that we can clear out the noise and the clutter and hear from God. To hear that quiet voice speaking to us. But I don't want to leave us, especially in this moment that we find ourselves in, this this bizarre, disruptive coronavirus moment, this moment of social distancing. I don't want to leave us with this idea that solitude is passive, that it's about checking out or burying our heads in the sand. There is another side to this, a paradox of solitude, that solitude in a way, even though it is withdrawal, it is actually a way of engaging. And we've been talking a lot about this pattern of renewal, right? Decline, remnant, holy discontent, contending, renewal. There's this period of decline. And then from that emerges a remnant of people, a small group of people who are willing to say, it doesn't have to be like this. They experience holy discontent. God, you can still move again. They begin to contend for this movement. God, would you do something? Would you do something? Would you act? And from this contending comes renewal. This applies very much to solitude. Solitude is a form of contending. And I don't think that we can contend well without this pattern of withdrawal and engagement in our lives. I don't know if this is helpful or not, but this is just something that's been with me this week, this image of this place called Skellig Michael. You may not be familiar with this at all. This is a, a tiny little island off the west coast of Ireland, but you will recognize it if you have seen the new Star Wars movies. This is where Luke... Uh, where Ray finds Luke hiding out. Skellig Michael, this I mean it, again, if you've seen the movies or if you can you know Google the image of this, it's this crazy rock that sits off the coast of Ireland, and at, at uh, a period of history thousand years ago, many people believed that it was the end of the earth. Now Michael refers to Michael the archangel, who, among other things, battles Satan in Revelation 12. And so again, a thousand-ish years ago, the Celts would send monks out to Skellig Michael alone to battle Satan. These monks would go out there by themselves to what felt like the end of the earth in solitude to pray that God would hold back the chaos and the evil of whatever was out there beyond the waters. And even though they'd be out there on their own, the people left on the island, people of Europe, even the Pope would send letters, would, would um, want them to know, hey, we are praying for you as you go out there to do this thing, to contend in this way. There's something about the image of those monks out in that lonely, desolate place doing battle against evil that seems very timely for us in this moment. Solitude is about quieting the noise, slowing the pace, so that we can hear the gentle, still voice of God speaking to us. But it's also about contending. And in this way, solitude is good news for our world because we need deep people who have gone off to the lonely places to be with God and to contend with God, who have settled and clear souls with the space to respond to the needs of our time with love and compassion. I wonder if in this moment, God is asking us to do this practice the way that these monks did this practice. That we are going off into solitude to hear the gentle whisper of God's voice speaking to us, but also to contend for God to move and to bring peace and healing to our city, to our country, and to our world. Grace and peace, everyone.